some math. I'm not going to teach you math today. I'm going to teach you something much more important. So, so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. That is where we're going to be going tonight. Luke chapter 16. It's one more than 15 and one less than 17, or so I'm told. So we're going to be doing Luke chapter 16, verse 19. So while you guys are turning there, Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And while you guys are turning there, I've got a question for you. What is the single, like, scariest way to die that you can think of? Adelaide. Drowning. Clayton. Dude, chopped up piece by piece. That's kind of brutal. Rachel? Being nailed to a cross and whipped to death. You know, I've heard of someone who died like that. Adelaide, again. Ooh, getting eaten alive, not a fun one. Alex, I saw your hand. Yeah. Ooh, eaten by an alligator alive. So, a lot of times, so a lot of times, people think about like the worst thing that could happen in the entire world, and they're like, "Man, it would be to die a really painful death." Right, Parker? Wouldn't you agree? The worst thing that could ever happen to you in this life is like dying a really painful death. That'd be fun. Interesting. So that's one of the things that we were talking about last week is that, you know, there's all these problems that you see in the world that are symptoms of the deeper issue, right? We were talking about how in the same way that you're not scared of the fever, you're scared of the disease. There is a deeper problem in the world than all of the brokenness that we see right now. And if you have a really bad sickness, if you have a really bad disease, like what's the worst it can do to you? It can kill you. And in the same way that like we looked around at the world around us, all the brokenness that exists in nature, in people, in relationships, and we're saying that that's a symptom of a deeper spiritual problem, there is a result of that spiritual problem. There is a spiritual death. And today, we're going to be talking about that. So, we're going to be talking about spiritual death. We're going to be talking about hell. And this is an extremely difficult topic to talk about. It's not comfortable, but it's so important for all of us to know and understand what hell is and why it matters. And the reason for that is if you're not a Christian, you need to understand where you're going. Because right now you have the opportunity to escape that. If you are a Christian, then you need to see where non-Christians are going so that it can motivate you to share the gospel with them. Because this is a reality. Oh, that's the wrong reference up there. Because this is a reality that everyone is going to face. And if you're a Christian, you should understand what it is so that you can spread the gospel. But you should also understand what you've been saved from. We talk all the time about how, oh, I got saved when I was 13 years old. I got saved after a real close experience with like XYZ person. But this is what you're getting saved from. You're getting saved from your sin, but you're getting saved from hell, from the result of your sin. 
And so we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what is hell, what is hell like, and why does it matter? And we're going to be doing that in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. And I'm going to start reading in verse 19 if you want to follow along. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So in this situation, we start by looking at where people are in life. And it seems like the rich man's off pretty good, right? If you had to choose between one of the people in this picture, who would you want to be? The rich man who's feasting every night or the poor man who can't even get the scraps? It seems like a no-brainer. Like, we start with a picture of where people are in this life, but we're going to move very quickly to where that goes ultimately. Because immediately after that, it says the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So all of a sudden, yes. So Hades is one of the Greek words for like the underworld. So the Bible uses two words to talk about hell. Three words, but generally two. It uses Hades and Gehenna. So... Hades and Gehenna can both be translated hell, and we're not going to get into the nuances of the difference, but there is a good one. There is a difference. But the rich man dies, and even as his body is being buried, he opens his eyes while his body is being buried, and he wakes up in hell. And Lazarus, in the same way, he closes his eyes, presumably at the gate of this rich man's home, and he opens his eyes next to Abraham in heaven. And the thing that you got to think about is all of a sudden where they were one verse ago really doesn't matter because now they're in the afterlife. Now they're experiencing something very different that isn't based on your experience here. And I'm going to talk to you guys about what is the rich man experiencing? What's going on? And the first thing that you need to understand about hell is that hell is painful. And we're going to be talking a lot about the important points of hell and what it is, but one of the fastest ways to identify heresy with hell is if they're trying to make it not as bad. Someone who tries to tell you that hell's not that painful, easy, heresy. Someone tries to tell you that hell ends, easy, heresy. Someone tries to tell you that you can get out of hell, easy, heresy. Anything that makes hell better is heresy because there is a massive motivation to make hell not as bad. Because either you know you're going there and you want to undermine it, you want to like put it out of your mind for what it really is, or you don't want to think about where the people that you see in your life, the people that you care about that aren't Christians, are going. But the issue is, hell is bad. We were talking about the worst ways that you can die, and worse than all of those. Worse than the worst thing that you can experience in this life is hell. And it's important to understand that because if you're not a Christian, that should scare you. And if you are a Christian, this should motivate you to share the gospel. Have you no heart for the people that are going here? And so hell is painful. 
When the rich man describes his experience in hell, he says, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. A lot of translations translate that agony. A lot of translations translate that torment. This is the worst suffering that you will ever experience. And this guy is suffering so much that he's like, oh my goodness, if only I could have a drip of water for my tongue. He's not even asking for buckets and buckets of water. He is desperate for even the smallest amount of relief. And the thing that you need to think about is that hell is painful. Hell is agonizing. Hell is the worst pain that you will ever experience, and it doesn't end. You're getting burned alive, consciously. And that's exactly what the rich man is. He says, I'm in agony in this flame. But, you know, people think about hell, and they're like, well, I mean, that's pretty bad. That's pretty painful. But it, it gets worse. That's not even the end of it. The Hades that he's in right now is nothing compared to what's coming later. Because in Revelation 20, 13 through 15, it says, and this is describing the end of the world, when Jesus is sitting on a throne and the entire world is coming in front of Jesus to get judged. It says, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, notice it says Hades, same word, gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And when we... Yes? So when a Christian dies, like in the case of Lazarus, they're immediately in heaven. In the case of a non-Christian, when they die, like in the case of the rich man, they're immediately in Hades. But there is something coming later. Revelation, this is describing it. And if you keep reading past this section, it talks about how God also um, creates a new heaven and a new earth. So the heaven that exists now is not the heaven that's going to exist in the future. And in the same way, the Hades that exists now is not the Gehenna that's going to exist in the future. It says that Hades and death are thrown into the lake of fire. Yes. Off topic question. Yes, off topic question. If we go to heaven now, yes. will we have memories in the uh, new heaven? Uh, that's a debated topic. My personal opinion is that we will. But there is a verse that says that things in the past will not be brought to mind. So that could mean that like it's so great in heaven that you're not even thinking about what came later. But there are people who believe that that means your memory is white. So, yep. So like you would have no memory of your life on earth. You would have no memory except for new heaven, new earth. Yes. Yeah, so that is not my personal view. But also, there are reasons that people hold that view. So my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, when I'm with Jesus, I don't think that... I'm not going to matter that much. <laughs> it be that big of a problem in my mind. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so back to the hell thing. Um, back to the hell thing. That's an interesting sentence. So it gets worse. Like, this guy's in agony and anguish right now in Hades, but Hades gets thrown into the lake of fire. It's like, oh, you think Hades is bad? Wait until you see what God has next for you. So 
And it's terrible. Like, imagine being thrown into a volcano. Imagine getting chucked into magma. And as you're sinking, your body is being burned on all sides, every finger, every fiber. And as you open your eyes, it's now burning through those. And as you try to inhale, you're suddenly getting molten rock burning and searing down your mouth, throat, lungs, everything. But the nice thing is that for us, if you did that to us, we would die. But the problem is, in hell, you don't. Because a lot of people look at hell and they see that hell is painful. And even if they can't escape that hell is painful, they say, well, okay, what if it ends though? Hell ends, right? You know, you get thrown into hell and then you get destroyed. You stop existing. Or you get thrown into hell and eventually it's just too much and you don't take it anymore. You lose consciousness and maybe your body's burning, but you can't tell. Hell ends, right? No. Because the next thing that you know, need to know about hell is that hell isn't just painful. Hell is eternal. Hell does not stop. In Mark 9, 47 and uh, 48, Jesus is talking about the importance of dealing with sin in this life. And he says, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Yes? So she said, if you see something bad, do you have to rip out your eye? So the point is not you need to like disembody yourself because when it comes down to it, what's causing you to sin is not your eye. What's causing you to sin is not your hand. If a person ripped one of their eyes out, they wouldn't stop sinning. But what Jesus is saying is that sin is major and you need to go to every length to deal with it. If ripping out your eye helped you, rip it out. But realistically, it won't. So Jesus isn't saying rip out your eye. Jesus is saying do whatever you need to to escape sin. Metaphors exist. So... The reason, so talking about the worm and the fire, the important part of that verse is where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. When Jesus talks about a hell, he says that not even a worm will die. So where the worm does not die, if someone were to talk to me and they were like, hey, John, I want to fight you. They're like, John, fight me. Let's throw down. You know, I think your mustache is terrible. Fight me. If I were to say, Dude, you couldn't even beat my five-year-old cousin in a fight. What am I saying? I'm not, am I saying that I'll fight them? Or am I saying, they're saying, hey, John, fight me. And I'm like, you couldn't even beat a five-year-old. So like, what am I saying? What am I communicating about their ability to beat me in a fight? They cannot. And how do you know that? Because I just said that they couldn't beat a five-year-old, right? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If you couldn't beat a five-year-old, you definitely could not beat me. Now, what's harder to kill, a worm or a person? A person is harder to kill. Worms are these scrawny little animals that you can crush easily. They can't even run away from you all that easily. Like They're a small little useless little blob of spaghetti. And it's like you can just put an end to them. So... When Jesus says that the worm does not die, he's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying that if even a worm can't die in hell, nothing dies in hell. People do not die in hell. 
No matter how much suffering you endure, no matter what happens, you will still be alive and there for it. But beyond that, it says where the fire is not quenched. Hell is eternal because not only does you not, not only do you never stop suffering, but the suffering never ends. The fire doesn't stop. So in hell, it's painful, it's horrible, and it keeps on going. Matthew 25, 46 says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And when God's talking about hell, he compares it to heaven. And in the same way that when a Christian goes to heaven, the Christian never dies and heaven never ends, when a non-Christian goes to hell, the non-Christian never dies and hell never ends. Yes. Okay. When Jesus comes back, yes. is heaven When Jesus comes back, Revelation chapter 21 and 22 talk about God making a new heaven and a new earth. So God destroys everything. The entire world is destroyed, heaven is destroyed, and he makes it new, and then that's where Christians spend with him. But when Jesus talks about eternal life, the same way that hell, uh, sorry, the same way that heaven never ends, hell never ends. And if you want to say that like, oh, hell stops eventually, uh, you kind of also have to say that heaven stops eventually, because the Bible presents them as parallel. So, when you go to hell, it never ends and you never die. So hell is painful, hell is eternal, and people are like, well, okay, maybe hell is really painful, maybe that's terrible, maybe no one dies in hell, and maybe hell never stops, but what if you can get out of it, right? Because then, even if it never ends, if you're not there, then it doesn't matter. But the problem is that hell is also inescapable. As soon as you die... And as soon as you go to hell, there is no getting out of it. And we're going to actually go back to Luke chapter 16 for this. In verse 25, when he says, Have mercy on me, have Lazarus deep dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Abraham responds, But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now, excuse me, he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Notice what Abraham did not say. Abraham did not say, oh, hey, after like a thousand years, your sins will have burned off and you'll be able to come to heaven. No. Abraham did not say, oh, well, just say that you're sorry, repent, ask to come to heaven, and we'll let you come here. No. Abraham did not say, you need to do these good works in hell before we let you come to heaven. No. None of those are what Abraham responds with. Abraham says that God himself has made it impossible for anyone to cross from heaven into hell or vice versa. Proverbs 1, it talks about what happens when you reject God and eventually God lets you reject him. It says, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. 
They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. And that section is talking about wisdom and her response when people reject her for too long. The thing to think about is that eventually God does not accept people's apologies. When you're alive in this life, God is letting you see the gospel. God is letting you know the truth. God is calling out to you and desperately saying, come. God says, I desire, I do not desire or delight in the death of the wicked, but instead wish that all would come to repentance. God is asking everyone to his table, but there does come a moment where that opportunity ends. And that moment is death. And the rich man understands this. The rich man doesn't say, okay, Abraham, what do I need to do to get over there? No. The rich man responds and he says, that I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. Speaking of Lazarus. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And the rich man understands. He understands. He stops asking about what he needs to do to get to heaven. He starts begging for the people who still have time because he's not one of them. And anyone who is dead has no time left. All they have is pain and suffering that cannot be matched, that will not end. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28, it says, And just as it is words, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once, to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is another situation where eternal life and eternal death are put in parallel. In the exact same way that Jesus is never dying for more sins and no more sins have to be dealt with, there are no retrials. As soon as you die and stand before God, you get your sentence and it's done. And if you think that you can get out of heaven, sorry, if you think that you can get out of hell, you also have to think that Christians might eventually get out of heaven. But the Bible says that both are impossible. Here's the thing that I want you guys to think about. So focus on hell for a second. Let's just rein back in and think about what we've talked about. All of a sudden, the good life that the rich man had and the bad life that Lazarus had don't matter. Because all of a sudden, they're looking back on their 40 to 80 years of life and looking ahead to their eternity, and they don't actually care that much about the 40 to 80 years. Because as soon as you're in hell, you're suffering excruciating pain forever that you cannot escape. And thinking about that and thinking about the reality of that, who here feels good right now? Who here is feeling, you know, jittery and happy and excited? This has been a really lighthearted, you know, message. So, like, thinking about hell, is this an easy thing to think about? Are you feeling comfortable in your seats right now? I'm not feeling comfortable up here. This is not an issue that I like talking about. 
But I'm about to talk to you about why it's so important for you as Christians and non-Christians to understand hell. I'm going to read you a couple verses, and I'm going to put them together. It's from Luke chapter 23 and John chapter 19, and let's see if you can tell me what this is about. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. What am I talking about? Anyone know the story? It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Not the beginning of time. Who knows the story I'm talking about? I heard it. Jesus, when he died. It was Jesus' death. This is what happens. For three hours, Jesus is on the cross, and afterward, then Jesus said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Just like Hebrews 9 says in verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. The thing that you need to think about, what was happening to Jesus during those three hours? He was pain and suffering. And we see the cross, and what was happening bodily to Jesus was the cross, absolutely. But the reason that Jesus' sacrifice is powerful is because what do each of us deserve? Remember this from last week? We deserve hell. All of us, 100% of us, if without Jesus, this is what we're looking forward to. We are looking forward to a painful, eternal, inescapable destiny. But Jesus came... And during that three hours, he endured billions of eternities in hell. And we don't see that, but when the darkness came over the land, that was God, the Father, coming to Jesus. And all of the wrath, all of the pain, all of the suffering that was reserved for us, he took all of it and he dumped it on Jesus. 100% of it. Jesus himself bore all of this, all of that suffering, all of that pain, all of that torment. The reason it takes us forever to endure it is because each of us owes an infinite debt to God. And Jesus, being God, being infinite, was the only person that could pay it. And in the span of three hours, Jesus was able to endure billions of infinite sufferings. And a lot of times people look at hell and they say, how could a loving God send people to hell? You know, Revelation chapter 20, we just talked about everyone whose not, name is not found in the book of life will be thrown into hell. Who threw them? God. And people say, if God is loving, how can he send people to hell? How can he do this to people? To which I say, Jesus. Because if you don't love people, are you willing to endure their hell for them? The answer to how can a loving God send people to hell? Jesus. Because Jesus loves us so much that he endured that hell for us. He endured that suffering for us. There is not a single person who has to go to hell. There is not a single person who doesn't have the opportunity to accept Jesus and turn to him. There is not a single person who can't go to heaven, despite that they don't deserve it. And the reality is this, that hell is terrible. Hell is eternal. Hell is painful and inescapable, but there is not a single person in hell there is not a single person going to hell that did not choose to be there. Because God has given every single person the opportunity to accept his gift. And Romans 1 says he has given every single person enough information to accept his gift. 
So when we look at hell, we as non-Christians should be horrified. That's why Jesus tells us about it. Because if you're not a Christian, this is where you're going. And if you are a Christian, then you should be looking at hell and thinking, goodness gracious, that's where I was going. But thank Jesus that he suffered it instead. And when you don't understand God's wrath and God's punishment, you can't understand what Jesus did for you. But also, you should look at the non-Christians that you know, who you care about, and you should look at them and you should think, goodness gracious, they need the gospel. I need to share the gospel with them because that's where they're going. Right? And so hell is an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Hell is an uncomfortable thing to understand. You're going to meet person after person that wants to minimize what hell is, doesn't want to talk about it at all, or doesn't even want to acknowledge it. But it's important for us to know what it is because this is supposed to enlighten us in how we live, in how we worship, and in how we evangelize. Because is there a sense of urgency if this is waiting for everyone who isn't a Christian as soon as they die? Because that means that you don't have much time to share it with them. Right? And that should motivate you. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you yourself paid our penalty. That even though we deserved hell, you did not leave us in a state where hell was destined. You did not leave us unable to escape it, but you sent your son. And Jesus, you came. So that all of the suffering that we rightly deserved, all of the infinite wrath of God could be poured out on Jesus. Lord, you love us so much that you suffered what we could never suffer and you suffered what we deserved so that we could instead have life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to think about and understand hell so that we know what we've been saved from, so that we understand where non-Christians are going and so that we can be motivated out of love to do everything we can to get them out of it. Lord, once someone goes to hell, there is no going back. So give us the strength and give us the presence of mind to escape it while we still can and to pull people away from it while we still can. And Lord, we pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen.